Hi there, my name is Corey Dundon. And I'm Michelle Maunder. And you are listening to Spirited Conversations, engaging and elevating pediatric occupational therapists. A joint collaboration between SEED, Pediatric Services, and Developmental FX. Each week, you'll hear from myself and Michelle as we nerd out with Tracy Stackhouse. Just a note before we start, Spirited Conversations is for informational purposes only. With that, let's jump in to today's episode. Hello, wonderful women. I weirdly was re-listening to our second episode on posture and it's such a strange experience re-listening to our episodes. It feels like I'm listening as if I am not part of it and I'm learning and as I do, I had questions about what we were talking about. So for those people that didn't listen to that episode, we talked about a 12-year-old boy who had come into the clinic to see me for an assessment. And I think he would, he was just needing a handwriting assessment. I didn't do any further treatment with that kiddo. I just collected some information and provided some recommendations. And so in that discussion, um, I had done a bunch of clinical observations and some standardized testing and had some data to sort of talk about in relation to the postural system. And obviously there's lots of other stuff going on around that, but I had some thoughts about some of the things that we had discussed. And then also some listeners had some questions in relation to some of the the treatment strategies that we talked about at the end of that episode, particularly related to extension and upright posture and how to maintain that through treatment. And then I've also had some discussions recently with some OT friends who were wondering about the reflex part of this as well, because in our ClinObs, we often test for ATNR, I did a tonic labyrinthine test and they're reflex-based tests. And so there's a lot of wondering around why we do those tests, how they relate to treatment, what does that mean? And then, you know, some people talk about reflex integration. I don't really know anything about that. I haven't done any training on that, but that's a question that often comes up, but we should flesh that out today. Do you, are you guys happy to chat about that today? Do you have thoughts about it? I love it. I'd love to talk about that. It's often one of the places people tend to start and certainly when you have new therapists working in peds it seems like they can get a handle on posture and perhaps moving into planning a little easier than some of the other concepts so I think it's a topic that lots of peds OTs talk about. So yeah, we should know this stuff really well, particularly how we might look at it different to a physio mm. and perhaps a chiropractor and so or someone who comes with a really reflex retraining or integration approach rather than now more I guess functional I come at it at a much more functional and what does posture offer you know what's a lack of posture impacting on rather than a pure I want you to be upright kind of <laughs> just because that's good posture and it's good musculoskeletally and it'll avoid scoliosis or, you know, blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah, how it allows yeah, function. About function. Yeah. yeah, so many, so many layers. So maybe we should just start with a basic clinical reasoning flow, which would be if we use the wisdom of Dr. Ayers and think about the errors, the classic errors flow chart. How that's organized is really kind of from a left to right flow, where on the right-hand side you have those occupational outcomes. What is it that your 
upright, engaged life, moving about the world needs from your body in terms of how your postural ocular system serves you as an agent of interaction in the world. So that would be on the right-hand side. And then how we track that back in the, in the wisdom of that framework is we look at the elements that give rise to anti-gravity control and bilateral control and movement capacity. And those are going to be grounded back in sensory and motor systems, and then you can break that down in a really particular way. So that flow, you know, hopefully just kind of painting that picture and whatever anybody's orientation is could fit into some kind of flow like that. Does something like that work for you both in terms of just basic organizing? I'm picturing the um, table in the SI Theory and Practice third edition. I think it's in every edition, but the table that they've put together, one side's sort of modulation-based and one side's discrimination-based, which is the postural side. And they start with nervous system and then they move out into more functional pieces that relate to the very end point, which is upright control of gravity with ease and fluidity, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so is that what you're sort of picturing in your brain or you're picturing something different? Yeah, so that that is one way of thinking about it. And I do think we should talk a little bit about that because for me, it actually brings up something that we need to integrate into our thinking. So let me let me get really specific here. Are we ready to kind of get juicy with something? Yes. 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 So we are. in the kind of traditional way of thinking about this from an heirs perspective, and what you're referencing is the current chart that uh, Shelley Lane and Anita Bundy are using, where you start with the nervous system in the middle and to the right-hand side of that particular chart, you're looking at sensory discrimination and perceptual functions. And so much of Dr. Ayers' work early on talked about how the somatosensory processing, in particular vestibular processing, and the body-based proprioceptors are going to give rise to our sensory motor control. And so postural systems derive from sensory motor systems, and they're based in vestibular functions. And so in the heirs tradition, what you're looking at is really a sensory discrimination base to this ability to start to have postural control, bilateral control, balance, and a number of different functions. And and we can go into this in more detail, but the thing that I want to pause and say is that we know also that our postural system is actually a reflection of our modulation and our our state. It's state-dependent. So if you are a person who tends to hang out in arousal states that are not really typical levels of activation, you're going to see it in the postural system. If you have children who are in more activation because they have to be more protective of themselves, you will see protective postures and you will see activation of the postural system in that direction or any, and any other scenario there right around changes in arousability. So really, whenever we see differences in postural systems, we can't just think about it through that sensory discrimination 
lens or the right-hand side of that chart, we really have to think more broadly and wonder about, hmm, where is this coming from? Because how we treat it ends up entirely dependent on that question. And because that's not always evident, sometimes people start to treat the thing that is the most evident. So let's say that we have a child who has a presentation where their basic reflexes are still showing up in typical movement patterns. Then what happens is that for certain treatment approaches, that becomes like this really shiny thing, like, oh my goodness, we need to work on integrating that reflex. But if you back up and think about it, if you are in protective defense, you will have activation, potentiation of reflexes to help you be stronger, to help you fend off whatever the threat is that might be perceived out there. So for modulation reasons, we're going to see reflex potentiation And the treatment isn't to integrate the reflex. The treatment is to get the person into a state of safety. In the same logic, if you see the reflex present and you are wondering, is that reflex there to give them more gravity, anti-gravity assistance because they have a weakness or a, a reduction of muscle tone or something like that, or they haven't really, they haven't sufficiently activated neck writing and equilibrium responses. So you're going to see the reflex, but the treatment isn't reflex integration. The treatment is to work on the postural function itself, maybe activating, or maybe it's the vestibular function that underlies that. So yeah, it's always important to not go for that shiny thing that seems easy to name, but pause and say, hmm, why is this here? So yeah, that's a lot. I just said a lot. So I'm going to pause and catch your responses. I love that you started with the person. I think your opening um, paragraphs is really around the person and what does their body need to do for them. And I think for me, that's the root of this, that we're going back to the macro really of what is this person and the system and that they're presenting to us or working from and how does that impact on their posture and that it's a it's a system really rather than their discrete postural capacities or their discrete reflex capacities look like this because if we miss oh my goodness, they're they're really over-responding to auditory, tactile, not processing, perceived well, that impacts their posture. And if we get stuck on that, we're never going to get anywhere because it's not the root issue. The root issue is the modulation piece. But, But starting bigger will help you see the wood for the trees, I think, and, and not and see the reflexes as an outcome rather than perhaps the root. Yeah. I had thoughts to clarify around to see if I was understanding correctly, which was say you have a thing that you notice, which is a maybe it's a reflex and let's give something concrete. So in my example, in episode two, I did a toning labyrinthine test and I had a clear outcome that said hit that wasn't integrated. So he tipped his head 
backwards and he had autonomic responses, eye fluttering, was trying to recruit visual system, proprioceptive system by collapsing and deflection to help support himself in that specific situation. So in that, I could go multiple directions in terms of treatment. So I could be like, oh, that reflex isn't integrated. I could just work purely on integrating that specific thing. That's what you mean by grabbing the shiny thing, right? So I could be like, okay, there's the shiny thing. That's what he's struggling with. That's what I'm going to work on. Then what you were trying to say, Tracy, was that if I step back and have a look at him holistically, then I can try to think about multiple things, which is how are the sensations integrating and organizing his body to allow him to manage that situation? My head tips backwards. How do I respond to that? And then how does that impact on his function day to day? So that's one piece I could think about. But then the third piece was the modulation element of that, which is when that happens to him, when his head tips backwards, he becomes, he became clearly distressed, which is not just a discrimination function. It's a state and arousal issue. So, cause you were saying that you can look at the postural system and it relates directly to state. My state impacts my posture and my posture impacts my state bidirectionally. Yes. Yeah. So they have this relationship where they influence each other. So for him, I can think about the underlying sensory integrative component of his postural system and how that helps him day to day. But then I can also think about the fact that that was really anxiety provoking for him and how that impacts his function as well. And I probably need to be thinking about all those things in the treatment session and then also working on it in a way that's not just specifically targeting the reflex. Now, has I, have I summed that correctly? Absolutely. And the other beautiful thing about occupational therapy as a discipline is that while you're addressing and understanding that you're approaching it from that deeper level of understanding about the processing of discrimination and modulation function, but you're doing it in a way that's related to what is it that he wants to do with his body in the world? And how is he going to find that motivation and engagement to make use of the sensation? You know, every time that we think about sensory integrative function and we come back to the core definition from Dr. Ayers around the organization of sensation for use, that thread that goes from... If I tip my head back, my vestibular activation related to how my postural system is working is not giving me what I need to make use of the world. And so now I'm getting overwhelmed and a little scared. And then I have to pull into a more primitive pattern to start to even try to make sense of that, which further restricts me from being able to have the freedom to do the things that I want to do. And so all the time we're seeing the full dynamic system of this process in action. And if we get too stuck in treating any one part of it, we're going to kind of miss it. But also if we don't treat the whole of it, we're going to miss it. So that's why this process is so complex and so rich and so real and true and authentic because it is exactly a reflection of what happens in neurodevelopment.
Oh, wow. That, that's so helpful, Tracy. So why then, because we always reference Dr. Ayers and we love Dr. Ayers. And so why then did she have, her, in her clinical observations, she obviously saw the reflexes as important um, and they allow us to gain some insight into what's going on for the child. So, but I wonder why, can we unpack that a little bit more? Like, why do you think that she had that? in there and what do you think she had that there to allow us to sort of gather and glean from that? So most versions of the heirs clinical observations have some some degree of reflex testing. What's also I want to mention though before we I answer the question (laughs) or try to kind of discuss the answer (laughs) with you guys. If you go to a neurologist, they do an assessment because you have a complaint about whatever, lots of things. One of the things that's true in a standard neurological assessment is that they look at reflex integration because the way that your body moves in these prototypical patterns is a reflection of the integrity of processing in the system. So the integrity of processing is kind of a little bit of a spin on integration, right? And Dr. Ayers, she talked about poorly integrated postural and ocular mechanisms are an important window into understanding what's happening in the processing in general. So that's kind of what we're looking at. So when so Dr. Ayers was interested not so much in the product of is there the presentation of a reflex when you provoke it? Because most of the tests provoke the reflex. They're there on purpose to kind of elicit the reflex. So if you see the reflex in a very strong pattern, that's the product. You're eliciting a product. But what she was really wanting us to look at was the pattern What's happening to, to bring about that adaptive function? Because in that way, a postural reflex is just an adaptation. It's a response to a stimulus. And so if I tip my head in a certain way, if I load my weight onto my arms or my postural system in a certain way, and then I move my body, I might evince that adaptation. So how is it supporting me? How is it bringing about a level of support to allow me to maintain anti-gravity control or to maintain my body alignment? Or do I not have the activation of my system that allows me to just easily handle that stressor? And so now I see the reflex as a partner in the dynamic system that allows me to maintain my anti-gravity control. Because lots of times if you are in an anti-gravity position that then you stress, what happens is you collapse or you see this intensity of response that misaligns the whole system. And it moves you out of being able to stay in, in adaptation, in a functional pattern that would allow you to just continue to reach or continue to look or continue to stand or continue to crawl or whatever. So the pattern itself is what you're looking at. You're looking at the big picture. And what you're wondering about is why is the body 
the postural system not sufficiently able to respond to that? Is it because when I move in a rotational pattern, my mix of stability holding patterns and mobility movement patterns is getting out of synchrony? And where does synchrony come from? Where does the relationship of my midline to my movement patterns come from? Turns out it comes from the vestibular proprioceptive apparatus. So it's often just a reflection of this underlying processing issue. But it also could be not just the discriminative processing, but the modulation processing. So yeah, it always opens that question. Is it discrimination or modulation? Every time it's going to open that question, and we have to dive into it. So yeah, Michelle? Is it? Is it I kind of see it as, like often we already have the, we've already seen through the um, way they walk in or sit down and, you know, participate even before we perhaps start clean orbs. I've already got an assessment, oh, it's your postural system and in the functions that underlie that, sensory probe tactile. And I see the bits that fall out of it, so including their reflexes, is their unique way that they're managing or trying to be adaptive when they don't have those functions working well. So sometimes it can look like they've got lots – you know, you see the reflexes really strongly or other times their adaptive way to manage the the lack of posture and stability and staying regulated is a refusal. They just say, oh, I'm not going to do it. So mm. that you just actually don't get to see the reflexes because they won't mm. do it. <laughs> but it's, for me, it's their, it's their best shot at being adaptive. And sometimes when they do it, when they agree to do the things you're asking to do it, you do see the reflex happen, but that's how their body's trying to compensate for a lack of something else. Am I putting that together okay? That it, oh no, no, I think you absolutely are putting it together. And it's just, I think that the wonder in your voice and that lack of certainty is really because we're talking in generalities right now. So... When you land mm. it, when you're with a child and you're, and you're feeling that experience of being with them, you're going to tune in to their lack of awareness of their body and space. And so when you put them on, on, on a movable surface and they start to be uncertain about, oh my goodness, how do I maintain my balance and stability when this thing is moving me? And you can really get a mm. clearer tacit sense of how clearly that is because they lose their sense of body schema and awareness and it doesn't stay with them as that projected action sequence of movement underneath them starts to move. And you would know that. You would feel it. You would name that. You would identify it because it's so, it becomes quite concrete in the moment versus the child who is so terrified of anything that's unpredictable And you would know that that experience for that child was more based on their fear of unpredictability. And that that could also come from their body, but it could come from the world, right? So you would would start to be able to Mm -hmm. identify that based Mm -hmm. on 
who is this child and what's the experience they're having and how do I understand them? So you've totally got it, Michelle, but I think it's because when we talk about kids and cases, it's easier to lay on this than it is when we're talking in a more kind of conceptual way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. General way. My thoughts were, because when you started the conversation, Tracy, you talked about um, Dr. Ayers and her looking at those tests so her the reflexes to glean something from the integration piece and I thought it was really interesting that neurologists do this too so it's not like we are doing this woo-woo thing we're actually just trying to get an understanding of the nervous system so that we can piece that to function because that's what we do as pediatric OTs more specifically try to glean something from the nervous system so I can understand how that's impacting Mm. occupational performance. And so we do an ATNR test often, right? So get a kid on all fours and make sure that they don't lock their elbows out and you gently turn their head to one side and you see whether the postural system can sustain alignment or whether it doesn't. And so that's a stress on the system and whether it can integrate around that specific task and so if I did that test and I stressed the system and they and I saw the reflex, then are you saying that that's helpful in that moment because they can't integrate that stress? And so the body does the function that helps it the most, which is to collapse and pull in and pull in that, that pattern? Yeah, or it could be that um, when you move the head out of midline alignment, you get a differential firing pattern in the neck musculature that then fuels what's going to happen below that. So that's partly a vestibular signal. It's also a matching of the neck proprioceptors. And when you get this mis-signaling between the neck proprioceptors and what the body is trying to do and the vestibular system, moving into more of a collapse is going to be protective because it's sort of like what's happening. I don't, I don't know what to, how to maintain myself here. I don't know what is going on. So, and, and as that differential firing pattern happens, trying to come back to, well, where am I? Where's my base of stability? A collapse is kind of the closest thing to that. And so there is a little bit of a collapse that is most likely going to happen. But it's partly because the adaptation is, let me come back to my most primitive pattern and resort what's going on. Mm. Where should I find strength? Where should I be pushing into? What position do you want me to be in? Mm. Um, It's also interesting because... Being in four point and then turning your head to the side, we once we're at, out of baby crawling life, right? We don't, we aren't in that position very often, and it isn't a super adaptive position. So, especially when you get really asymmetrical in your firing pattern, so it's kind of interesting in lots of ways to think about it. But yeah, so there, yes, your logic is, is right in terms of thinking about the adaptation. But then also what happens is that if you have a higher level of ability to recruit assistance against gravity, what should happen is a weight shift to the opposite side that holds the integrity, right? Because that's how mm. where crawling comes from. So I start to collapse. What I should do is find my strength instead of going to collapse. Mm. 
And so what we're looking at is not just does the collapse happen, but what is the adaptive response to the collapse? Are they working actively against it? Or do they allow the collapse to happen? And isn't that interesting to think about what should it be pulling for? What should it be producing that's a little higher level? What you will see in a person who doesn't evince the big reflex is you'll start to see a little bit of collapse, but then you see a postural adjustment that corrects the course. So when you don't see postural adjustment, that's when Dr. Ayers suggests that you're not seeing a sufficient activation of the system itself. And so again, the problem isn't the reflex. The problem is the lack of sufficient response. Yes. So let me just clarify the neurological piece of the reflex and then Michelle, you can go for it. So that child who has the big reflex, if I turn their head, you're saying that it's related to the vestibular organs on each side of the head firing into the postural mm-hmm. system. And because they, because when I turn the head, each organ gets different stimulus, then I'm going to activate down the postural system asymmetrically. So one side's going to get a different activation to the other to maintain my position. Mm-hmm. But if I haven't organized and integrated that with the proprioceptors of the neck then and the body, then sometimes to manage that, then I have to pull in the reflex. Whereas if I can integrate that difference, moving my head, asymmetrical firing of the vestibular system with the proprioceptors of the neck of the body, then I can make the adjustment to manage that stress. or input. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. It also, at right. a higher level, tells you that the treatment approach that Dr. Ayers suggested here is pretty accurate still. Because what she talked about is... When you see this difficulty, what you want to do is create a vestibular proprioceptive opportunity to work on pulling for writing reactions and equilibrium responses that are the higher level integration above the reflex, right? But what you want to do is really work on the writing response and the equilibrium that allows for that reflex to be made use of appropriately and so that it doesn't have to garner all the attention. It's like the reef, the <laughs> writing responses and the equilibrium responses are really what postural adaptation is all about. And so what you want to see is the balance of relationship of stability mobility within the context of writing and equilibrium. And what happens in the writing and equilibrium responses is that you get this beautiful weight shifting. You start to pull in alignment. You start to get Mm. gradations of rotational responses around that midline where you're balancing and maintaining alignment so that your body can keep doing what it wants to do. So your body can keep moving Mm. or, or holding on or reaching and that and that body action could be happening anywhere from the eyes to the head to the trunk itself to the extremities or even to the distal parts of our extremities you're going to see the exact same beautiful orchestration of stability mobility reaching for the eyes or trying to pick up a little piece of lint on the floor as you're reaching forward without falling over. And the reason this is also critically important to life function, I'm thinking about a couple of individuals who I've worked with over the years. Um, One 
was a, a woman who was about uh, 18 years old when she was referred to me. She's a woman who has a, a diagnosis of autism. She also had a lot of um, restrictions in her cognitive and language uh, skills and her profile was pretty complicated. But the reason she was referred to me was that um, she had been moved uh, into this high school program and the high school program had this goal for her to be able to do a more independence in her daily living skills. In particular things like picking up her shoes and putting them on. Um, and she couldn't lean over. And it turned out when I met with her mom that since she was about seven or eight years of age, she had stopped ever leaning over. She wouldn't ever lean over and pick anything up off the floor. And mm -hmm. so this has been for more than a decade that leaning over to get out of bed, to get into the bathtub, to do even toileting, all of these things, she was so restricted, she wouldn't do any of them. She was so rigid in her posture. She was so fixed and held. And so, you know, people had been doing all of these sort of behavioral interventions with her to try to get her to lean over and pick up her shoes and get a reward of some Skittles or something like that to pick up her shoes or whatever. <laughs> but everyone was missing that this was all based back in her vestibular system and in the integrity of her ability to make use of her postural system. And so this kind of relates to a question that we also had from a listener about how long do I have to treat these sensory-based issues to mm. support posture? And so in this case, I did a really intensive vestibularly focused intervention with her where she would come in several times a week. I was really working with her quite intensively and then gave her parents a home program. And, you know, within about four months, she suddenly started to find delight with moving her head through space. Mm -hmm. And a few months mm -hmm. later, she started to just automatically understand the space above her in standing, the space down by her feet were all available to mm -hmm. her. And that discovery came from the integrity of the vestibular system supporting her posture. It didn't come from training her to bend over and pick up her shoes, but it allowed her the freedom to do that. And this is a person who was pretty restricted in lots of her different skill sets, but she found so much joy. And um, now she, her most favorite thing in the whole world is to go on a cruise. And she before couldn't do it because she also couldn't enjoy that kind of movement. And so it sort of changed everything for their whole family because they go on Disney cruises now and um, funny things like that that just opened the world to her. Mm. And the vestibular system really does that to you. It can restrict you so much that you really can't move and you really can't find the freedom to bend over nor get on a boat so yeah pretty powerful trace that's so um Amazing. wonderful that they met with you and that you've changed their trajectory really or um so beautiful mm. case to illustrate getting the intervention right i guess and understanding the lack of integration um that was at the root of that rather than the other approaches that weren't landing for her i'm fascinated 
that you mentioned she had lower cognitive capacities, if I heard that right, but there was a knowing that this is not working for me and I'm going to avoid this and it didn't matter the lure. I'm sure whatever was her currency, her special interests, they were you know, painting them big and bright and making them super attractive to her. But she just was still had a knowing when my head does this, I don't feel safe and I'm not going to do that for the bright and shiny things that you're offering me for decades. So that that's of interest um, to me. And I guess that was my question earlier that this is all pretty automative, you know, automatic and we're not necessarily thinking about it. I guess the opposite is that where we see kids with perhaps more cognitive function where they go around it, they, they anticipate, oh, the, I, you know, and maybe this is really subconscious as well, like it was perhaps for this beautiful lady you mentioned, that when Michelle's going to tilt my head again in the HNR example – there's a locking that you know that they're like whoa at some point their body's Mm -hmm. like wow this doesn't work out well for me I'm not going to collapse I'll lock out instead you know whatever it is but there's a whoa I know what's happening here and they get really adaptive and sometimes look with a really good eye we can still spot that but it it can get harder (laughs) when they've got high cognitive capacity and they've worked out ways to get around it because they (laughs) they don't fully collapse and you don't see the full um you know whole uh complete reflex you see it start to happen and then they do you know move out of it or laterally shift and lock elbows so that they don't collapse but yeah interesting Interesting, Trace. I wonder, can you talk about that automation, that this is really um, a reflex is just that arc, that, that, that there's not necessarily conscious control of this, particularly for that your beautiful lady? Yeah, absolutely. So it is this low-level pattern that is just a pure reflex. I mean, it, it really does have that quality to it. But because it's not happening in the peripheral nervous system where we think of other reflexes, like if you think about... um, The pain one? You know, say again? Like the pain where you step on a tack and it goes to the spinal cord and it comes straight back and you pull your foot away. That's exactly right. Or, you know, if you're doing like a patellar kind of stimulus to kind of evince this little reflex Mm. arc in in the leg where you just see the activation pattern. Because these deeper reflexes, these postural reflexes, are integrated through the sensory motor circuitry, there's lots of other influences to them. And so just like you were saying, Michelle, if somebody is like, oh, every time, if I am in this position and I turn my head, this thing is going to happen to me. So I'm going to really super avoid that. And what you'll hear, you know, it's interesting. I have a friend who is an OT, but for a really long time, she's worked as a driving coach for people that have all different kinds of issues, whether they've had head injuries in their life or um, maybe they're living with a, a neuro, some level of neurodiversity and so they are wanting to learn how to drive a car. But she hears this story all the time about individuals who are like, okay, the hardest part is when I'm holding onto the steering wheel and I have to look all the way behind me to my left or my right and I pull on the steering wheel. And it's a reflex, right? So that's the ATNR kicking in. 
Um, and as soon as I turn my head, I'm going to, I know I'm going to turn the steering wheel. And so there's all these strategies that they have to do to do what you just described, Michelle, about this little guy who might just get really stiff and say, I'm not going to let that happen. I'm not going to collapse. And so we can kind of override it through the activation patterns that we can pull into our new plan but then we become really inefficient Mm. you you both are super active and do lots of finesse things with your bodies i try but i'm less (laughs) competent in some ways so i had this experience in the last year where i've been trying to do some stand-up paddle boarding which is a riot and really hard because the surface is really unstable and Tracy, could you send me some video, please? That will be my bright, shiny thing. Whatever, I will do whatever you want as long as you trade me some video of you on Battleboard. Yes, it's comical. It's beyond comical, but partly because... Oh, Tracy, go you. Go, Tracy. (laughs) But you can, you know, I have really low muscle tone. I have a large uh, frame, and I find myself having to breathe through relax don't hold don't fix there allow for the rotation feel your body in space and i know how the whole system works so i can kind of coach myself in my head (laughs) totally and for context Tracy is tall (gasps) so getting on a paddleboard your center of gravity over your base support is very high so it's a challenge it's more even more of a challenge for you Trace so um, I can appreciate that but it's so true you see these patterns and I guess Tracy if you weren't more integrated so you should prop yourself up a little bit there you would just spend the whole time falling off or you'd be too worried to even get on the board right you could do that too just for me trace one day just relax don't think any thoughts we could make big money on that you know tracy's uh paddle boarding youtube channel i'm picking on you i love it but you're so playful and um, you know that's tricky and you know mm. you can think through, you know you've got capacity to do it, you're brave and hopefully you're doing it with some friends who are, you know, giggling and laughing and co-regulating you together. But, you know, you're having a go that you've got a lot of resources and it's still taxing on you. So if you found some rapids or you ran into reeds or mm. there was piranhas suddenly <laughs> in the thing, all of that would drop off a bit. And then you, you know, some of our kids do not have those resources to pull on, to giggle no. through it and entertain Michelle and Corey. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm wondering, you were sort of saying there, Tracy, if it's because Michelle talked about the kid that can cognitively sort of override it. But then because that system should be so automatic, as soon as you have to pull in the Mm. cognitive piece, it becomes a much more taxing task. And that just made me think about many of the kiddos that we see who are doing pretty well, but they're so fatigued by the end of the day and then they fall apart. And you don't know, we don't know exactly why, but sometimes when you gather more information, having to think through almost everything that should often just be this automatic piece that supports them to do the day-to-day things. And that was pretty relevant for the kiddo in 
episode two as well. He, I remember even the fact that he was asking about having to hold the paper, like, which is an automatic function. When you write, you don't think about holding the paper. You just hold it because it's efficient. It works better to do it that way. But if I'm holding my postural system with up with my arm, because I don't have ease and uprightness due to the integrity of the vestibular proprioceptive somatosensory system, then I have to think about all of those pieces, which makes me tired. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of where we were getting at in a, in a very fun way. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely true. Yeah, so, you know, it's like, is... Is it vestibularly based? Is it in the motor patterns? Is it in their muscle tone? Is it in their strength and endurance? Is it the impact of the vestibular on their strength? and Like all of those are, are alive questions when we are trying to figure out how to help this person engage and perform and be fully available to do their handwriting in class or to do the stand-up paddle boarding or to get on and off the swing in the clinic or to climb over us as we're playing rough and tumble on the floor, whatever it is that's happening, right? So it's all of those things. And yeah, the postural system should become pretty automatic. I think even... In little babies, once they get it, they get it and they move to the next stage, right? They get integrity in their prone prop and their shoulder girdle, and now they can move around and pivot prone. And it's just there and it's available and, and it doesn't matter that their head is moving. You can pull the reflex in a five-month-old, but it doesn't, it doesn't influence them too much because they have all this ability to move around. So when we see it in an eight-year-old or in an 18-year-old, you have to ask a lot of questions and and you're asking those questions from the far left of the grid to the far right of the grid and all the way across. It's really about sorting it from each level of processing to the occupational outcome back and forth over and over again. Wow. What a wonderful discussion. I have lots to think about. I had thoughts even just in terms of the wonderful young woman that you were working with, Tracy, the treatment process for her, because I have a wondering about what that looked like. I'm sure it was very refined. So I would love to talk about that next episode and we can talk about exactly how you came to that end point where she was able to find herself in space, use the space above her, use the space below her, enjoy cruises, all of these things, how these were able to come about through this process over four months. I think that would be super valuable. I know I would love that discussion. So um, I would think we should chat about that next time. What do you guys think? Love it. I think love it's it. a great idea. Yeah. Vestibular treatment can feel mysterious and it's also quite full of principles and then also the nuance of just beautiful engaged relational treatment so I think it'll be really fun to talk through that and learn a little bit more together yeah amazing well we'll see everybody next time thank you wonderful women thank you don't forget to send those videos on please Trace see you everyone (laughs) this podcast is brought to you by Seed Pediatric Services and Developmental FX For more information, please go to our show notes on our website, spiritedconversationspodcast.com 
or catch us on our Seed and Developmental FX Facebook or Insta pages. So grateful to have you with us for this episode. Take care and we'll see you next time.